in his ministry and his life. If you're a student of scripture, you will know that Elisha is a type of Jesus in the Old Testament. In the same way Joshua is a type of Jesus for different reasons, for similar reasons and such. Joshua is a type of Jesus, not just because he and Jesus are natives, because Joshua means But Joshua is the type of Jesus because Joshua was the one that brought the children of Israel into the promised land. In the same way, Jesus is the one that brought us into the promised land, redemption, salvation, and the kingdom of God. Elijah is the type of Jesus in the nature of his ministry, primarily because the nature of Elijah's ministry was very provisional and solution-oriented. Elijah was more focused on judgment and battle. Elisha was more focused on providing, solving people's problems. So, you see that Elijah is sort of a type of John the Baptist. In fact, the Bible says he comes, he came in the spirit of John the Baptist. But Elisha, the one that came after, is very similar to Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at his life as a type of Jesus and what we can find as lessons that we can learn when it comes to sowing seeds in God's kingdom. So we have two stories here. The first was about the widow who, whose husband was a prophet, right? Or one of the sons of the prophet. And the second we see is about the woman who we usually call the Shunammite woman. Both of them, similar stories, interesting things you can learn from their lives, and two different ways that God was able to meet them at the point of their need. We'll start with the widow. The widow's entire case for coming to the prophet Elisha was on the account of what her husband had done, right? She said, you know that my husband feared the Lord. Now, church tradition and church history and texts, including Josephus, the historian, will tell us that this husband that we're speaking about is Obadiah. Obadiah, who in the days of Ahab, when Ahab, when Ahab was at the height of his wickedness, and his wife, Jezebel, was also at the height of her own wickedness, decided to start killing God's prophets. Keep a hundred prophets of God in two caves and fed them for a very long time. Now, when you hear this, naturally, if you and adults that have started to make any form of money or started to provide in any way for yourself or for other people. It is not impossible for you to draw the line between this woman now being a widow and being in debt to the point that her two sons' lives were on the line and her husband at some time in the past hiding a hundred prophets' caves 
and feeding and taking care of them. Will you say these two things are not connected? Hmm? They definitely are. Because they were using something to save this prophet, weren't they? So they're not just pulling this from the sky. And she was she must have been involved. He might have led it quite alright. But he was a servant to the king, he served in the king's court. Who think it's every day that he will have had the chance to go himself to feed his brother? No. Sometimes he might have spent his life. And they must have spent their resources on ensuring that these prophets of God are not killed. So when she came to Elisha and said, See, this is what is about to happen to me, you know. Of course, Elisha definitely knew. Because this was happening around the time that Elijah, his master, was what? Was the prophet in the land. Elisha must have been aware of the sacrifice that was paid by Badiah for the prophet of God. And the solution to the problem was, and we know this part, this is the part we talk about a lot, of the oil, yeah, and the vessels. What I want to bring out from this is that there is no sacrifice that we pay to Jesus that he doesn't see. Mm-hmm. When I say sacrifice, you see, let's not deceive ourselves. Like the entire point of the sacrifice is the fact that it is detrimental to us. Trouble. It is not a detrimental to you, it's not a sacrifice. There's this great connotation about Jesus David said rather that he said that I will not give unto God whatever it costs me. Cost me you know, is a relative expression. Because everything technically costs you. But he was not just talking about, oh, I will not give unto God what doesn't cost me. So I wanted to buy, example, go to buy shawarma today, but let me just give this money to church or something. Like it costs you, right? So I go to you, you replace the shawarma with the money. But cost is relative. When David is saying that I wouldn't give unto God what doesn't cost me, what he's saying is that I won't give unto God something that I can easily replace. So in that situation, or this tiny example that I've given you, it's only costly when after you've given it, you have no means of getting that thing that you want again. Like that was your last option. Like you either did it with that thing, you either achieved that your goal with that resource that you have, and it's not just financial, it could be time, it could be talent. Either you achieve that goal with what you had, or you have nothing. If you don't have that kind of exchange in your relationship with God, and it's simply a case of, oh, I gave it, but well, I know that I'm expecting something else, and I'll be able to balance it. How can you truly say that you sacrifice? Because everything is costly, 
And this is the lesson that I'm giving you today. I'm not saying that God cannot replenish. I'm saying that in that moment, you don't have a plan B. You don't have a what? A plan B. You have a plan B. Then can you give me for you? Because if you look at what we call worship, and where we get worship from, the Abraham has another plan. Yes, he had the most ability in his heart, but the God that gives me this one can feed me with his mother. But that doesn't mean that he was thinking to himself that this one is gone. He wasn't thinking to himself that somehow this one will be saved. That's what is sacrificed to by the nature. Something that by the time he leaves you, something else is suffering. For the sake of that thing. And if something else is not suffering, you must release that effect. And this is consistent in the whole world. So many examples. Start from the Old Testament. Do your own study. Study the Revival. You see, it costs them things. You might say it's like English and be happy and say, yes, the Israelites give so many sacrifices on people. Yes, it wasn't cheap. The sacrifices that they paid according to their income, right? But they paid it according to their income because God makes sure that everybody was sacrificing something. So essentially, the person that can afford a goat or a ram will not go and sacrifice a pigeon. Because if they sacrifice a pigeon, they are not fulfilling the law, they are not obeying because their capacity can carry more than that pigeon. So it's not just about, oh yes, if you need pigeon, is on the list. So they just carry the pigeon and sacrifice it. God sees your heart, He sees your life. You know what you can actually do. He knows. So who are you fooling? Yes, no. So it's for those that truly this pigeon has taken something from them. But it's unto their God to give it. Those are the people that pigeon is worth them because that's where they are. And that's the primary lesson I want us to learn from this first example. What a sacrifice really is. It means you're giving up something. And yes, you may get it later. Yes, God may replenish you as you often do. Because here, God replenished this woman's family. And she was able to survive this period of hardship, selling this oil. But it's not as if that oil was in her mind when her family was doing what they were doing. It was just was sacrificing. The family ran into death, particularly when the man was gone. And how God chose to do it for them is he used something that they already had. Right? And that's one of the ways that God answers us. Sometimes he answers us through what we have. Through what is in our hands. Maybe our gifts, maybe our talents, maybe our abilities, maybe some skills that we have. And he picks up that thing and he polishes it and he places you in a position where that thing will make us 
to bring blessings for you, make a way for you, like he did for her. But I'd like to tell you that these are not the only things that we need in life. The two types of blessings in this example are very vital to us. Because you see, for the second example, this was God doing something that we cannot manufacture by ourselves. For that woman to not have given herself that son. Was she? No. And trust me, if you are still on the level of you know that God is the one that is doing something for you. But there's also a part of you that is aware that there are some things or abilities or skills that God has given you that has put you in a position where you can benefit those things that you are benefiting. Then you are not ready for this other one. Because when you can see that you are truly experiencing the blessings of God, it's when you have both. It's when you can say, this one that came, there's nothing like that. Let me read all the book in this world. Let me have all the skill in this world. I could not have gotten it without God. Because I don't even have the ability to get it. And God is also in the business of doing that. But you see, for the Shonamite woman, there are some things that she possessed. The first thing that she possessed is that she was, she was what we call, she had perception. She was able to sense. She was sensitive to who Elisha was. And sensitivity is very important when it comes to expressing our faith. Sensitivity is what is important. You look at me here for a while and you know that this isn't my favorite topic to teach. Not because I don't believe it, I believe it, I believe it 100%. But because if I'm to teach it the way I want to teach it, I might sound very mean. And this is what I'm, I'm talking about giving us secrets or whatever. I might sound very mean. I might sound meaner than, than I guess, usual. Maybe I'll sound strict. So I, I try not to teach it. I rather teach you about living a godly life, a romance, and all those things. I love teaching those things. And the reason I don't like teaching this is because anytime people give by instruction, they are robbed of something very fundamental. And that people give by what? Instruction. They are robbed of the actual blessing. Congratulations. Because the entire point, which is why I said to you that offering time in church is actually unnecessary. It doesn't exist in the Jews in our you know. They just know. It doesn't exist as a we that have it. And yes, we have it so that there's a sensitivity to help you remind you but those that truly want to walk with God should not lose that reminder. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it because I still want you to be blessed so I'll do my best which is why I do it in workers weekends I do it in all these things I tell you this is what church needs this is what we're doing next this woman just saw that ah, 
This prophet is always passing us. Where, whenever he's going to where he's going, he will show our password. He passed by us, passed our house several times. She looked at it and said, This man is stressed. Let, let's just do so. I tried to hold one. I said, I perceive that this is a what? It's a man of God. Because I perceive it. Let us do this. And essentially, this is probably the first example in the Bible of a potential hotel business. When she didn't collect anything. Sure, folks. Because the lens gets me bed, it gets me table, it gets me candlestick, and it's food. Right? And they will give him food. That's a B and B now. It's a bed and breakfast. They're not paying anyone anymore. And it's not just that she did this out of sensitivity, the fact that she was consistent with it, because she said anytime he what he passes. It wasn't the first day that he passed that Elisha now said he had to call her. You see, he got to a point that Elisha was like, no, let's call her, let me ask her, what does she want? What does she need? She's been doing this thing since. And that's the second problem we have is consistency. When we start a certain way and at some point, we kind of relax. It's very dangerous. Because again, we never really know at what point God is waiting for us. It's easy to start over. It's difficult to be consistent. Consistency is key. We need it. We can't do without it. Because the end has to be better than the beginning. It is so much better for you to have a rocky start and finish strong. And for you to start well and somehow meander. And a lot of people actually start to move on. A lot of times we are like the seed that is planted on the rocky soil. You grab it in faith and we start running with it with full speed. But we don't let it sink. And over time, we must start getting weary. And the second thing that plagues us is having a transactional mindset. A transactional mindset. Having a transactional mindset is different from paying a covenancy. Because you say, okay, like, shouldn't we believe that God is going to do something for us in return? Sure. But He is God. But it's all about the state of our heart. The root of our giving should not be because of that thing that we want primarily. Even if we believe it and do it. The root of our giving should be the fact that He is God and we are giving to Him. Because He is God. He owns it anyway. In that we are committed to what God is committed to. When you go to a bank to get a loan and you drop some form of collateral, to be able to get that loan. 
I'm sorry, are you loyal to that bank? Hmm? Do you have any loyalty, whatever, in your heart to the bank? Your entire motivation is what? Give me the money, let me use it for what I'm using for, so I can be able to pay you back and I can get back my own collateral. That's a transaction. There's no heart in it. It's not like you, have, you don't even know the creed or the vision of that bank. That's not your problem in life. All you know is that you have something that you want. The problem is not expectation. The problem is that when expectation does not have loyalty to the kingdom or a commitment to the kingdom, what we are doing is we are just we are treating God like the bank. And what happens in return is that when you don't get the returns when you want, or when you don't get the returns that you think that thing deserves, you become discouraged. It makes it very hard for us to count our blessings. I can't remember the last time I was in the hospital for anything. I can't remember. You literally can't. I'm actually thinking now. I think the last time was when I like I had to dress a wound. That's the last time. Okay, I was in the hospital for anything. This me that I'm saying I can't remember the last time. My life was always like this. The time when I Hospital smell became like the second I liked it. I got used to it. That ethanol Because I was almost always there. Almost always. I spent the majority of time in the secondary school, I spent it in sick bay. For small thing, I have an attack. Small thing, I have an attack. It's not going to be a good person. There's so many insurances that our seed gives us. But if it's not the returns that we are expecting, we get disappointed because we're trying to do buying and selling in Jesus Christ. And we cannot do buying and selling in Jesus Christ. Even with our covenants. Because the truth is, there's what you want. And God can give you what you want. Yes. What if God wants to give you something that you can never even think of that is a need? Because when the Shunammite woman came to Jesus, to Elisha rather, she was asking her, what do you want? And she said, I'm fine. That's the summary of what she was saying. She said, wait, should we talk to you before the king? She said, no, I'm fine. I'm among my own people. Should we talk? Well, let's look him. Who mentioned the fact that you don't have a son? Only how? Who's Gia? Probably because she has given up on that prospect. She has accepted her life as it was, as it is. And you find out that was her mindset because this son actually died to continue with this story. And she had to go back to Elisha. And when she went to Elisha, the summary of what she said to him was, I was on my own. I was on my own. I already accepted that this is my life. You now carried yourself and came and said, God, you give me son. Now give me son. Now it's for him to grow and for me to love him and be connected with him. Now to give me. That's what she came to tell him. To show you that at this point in her life, she has accepted that this is what my life is going to be. And yet, 
That is the one thing that God honor us. Why? Because she consistently showed this man of God hospitality. Sacrificing her resources to take care of him. And this is the summary of every single thing that we are saying or have been saying for the past three days. I've done enough economics to know that savings are ultimately a scam. And what we need to do is to invest. I've done enough economics to know that. The reason why savings are ultimately a scam is because number one, economic and foreign exchange is so unstable that the time value of money changes drastically as time goes back. And so, anybody that hypothetically has been saving 50 million of 2010, what that 50 million will have done in 2010, it can't go up to half or 40% of it today. True or false? And economically, we are advised to invest. If we are saving, it should be shorter or later, two to five. And five is even like the extreme in that you have a target, you want to use it to do something. And essentially, you see, you get that thing done and you know that that, that is that, that's money you want. And five says it's like you are going too far. Because trust me, the time value of whatever you need has already started to change, started to change. And this two to five, it's been, it's old. I don't know what it is now, but every time I look at the way my eyes, <laughs> I don't think it's to, be, to be five anymore. What I'm doing with this is this. This life, we say it's very short, but at the same time, it's actually kind of narrow. We might blink and open our eyes and all of us here are in our forty. It is at that time that did you begin to see at that time we know the value of every single thing that are saying now. Because you see the doors that God wants to open for you are beyond that job that you are doing. Because God knows what the market will be like then. God knows whether the career path that you are on will still be viable then. We can do all these projections and we say, oh yes, the future is this, the future is this. Nobody knows what the future is. That's the truth. Oh, the future is in this industry, the future is in that industry. Okay, continue. Who knows the future? God. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what God has in store for me tomorrow. There are people that stayed with agriculture when everybody was going to banking and everybody was laughing at them. And today now they are what? They are millionaires. They are quiet. Because they kept farming. When people were leaving farming and saying that, okay, it's no more coal. And then technology now caught up. The agribusiness now started. They now invested in agribusiness and they are producing their and producing all this and putting it in shops and knew that they are the bank jobs, they are coming to buy their products. 
They are quiet in Lagos. In many things, kind of many places, they are not saying anything. Those are things that I, when I walked at the foundation, I got to really see. And when you hear the stories of some people and how people are laughing at them before, but what? The economy of the world turned around again and came to their own what? Their thoughts. And they just stayed the other way again. And they might turn around again and leave them. Because that's the world that we work together. So why not invest in the one that knows the future? Because you don't know what he is going to do. God might want to make you an owner. You might say you want to be a worker. But there's a kind of seed that you will give unto God and the commitment you show to him that he will let all the ancestral spirits because yourself be cooperating. God is saying no. It's true. It's true. Plus yourself, who say I don't want it to say no, you deserve it, I'm giving it. Because you have moved him. And that's what I want us to do. I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to myself. I want to move God. There's an vision I have in my life, is I want to work. Move God. That is strong, that is one. I want you to look at me and say, ah. My vision for myself. Because if you can move God, what do you need in this life? Some like people say God is partial. He's not. But we are like Him. In that the same way we can be moved, he can also be what? He moved. If he moves God, he will move things for you. you know what it means for him to promise David that even when his son messed up, he didn't take the throne from Solomon directly. He still allowed Solomon to finish. And he told Solomon, it's because of your father David. After all the idols and all the people, all the shrines you built, I will still keep you there. Finish your time, after your time, then I will sleep the kingdom. Not because of you, because of who? Your father. And he said, even after I sleep the kingdom, I will ensure that your father's life still continues. What it means for God to make that kind of commitment to somebody's generation? What did David do? Move to God. Was he a perfect man? No. This Christian life, holiness, righteousness, great good. I can preach it from now to tomorrow. But we are flawed. The most perfect thing that we can have before God is a perfect heart. We can't have perfect behavior. We will always make mistakes. Overcome all the addictions in the world, overcome all the ones that we call obvious sin. We will still be doing like this, still be battling this flesh, and sometimes the flesh will give you one knock. <laughs> it's true. And then you have to recalibrate and what? Fight back. You can never be perfect in this world. Which is why we keep relying on the righteousness of God. It's not about complacence. I'm not saying, okay, just relax. No. Fight the battle. It's our responsibility. But the point is, you will not stop fighting. Till 
God takes us from this ledge. We can never be perfect in behavior. There will always be something lacking. Even when you deal with sin, we all have personality weaknesses that may never go away. Some will need some won't. What you can have for sure is a perfect work. And when God sees your heart, he knows that you are totally sold out to him. Yes, you might not be able to express it perfectly all the time, but you cannot deny that deep inside you, there's nobody you love more than him. There's nothing you will not give for him and what he wants to do. Those kind of people, God does not abandon them. He doesn't. He can't. But that's what he's looking for. I pray that God will have worked with you. As we move into the music section, I want us to put these words to heart. And never let the devil rob you from an opportunity to give yourself to him. Because when the last days and so many things are happening, I pray that God will help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.